Hey, 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 everybody. Hello, friends. We have a couple of quick Art History Babes Nation updates for you. What's going on over here in our world? First off, we have a new featured artist. Zach Clark. You our might bo- recognize him from some of our previous episodes, such as Corita Kent or Albrecht Durer. And our upcoming episode on Robert Rauschenberg as Which well. Which is going to be great. It's going to be Just easy. as rambly and crazy <laughs> as the first one. So we're officially blaming that on Zach. Yeah. But you've maybe heard him before on the show. Um, he's a friend of ours and he's an artist, a printmaker, and he is our featured artist. And he has created a beautiful print set called Confabulation is a River in California. And it is available for purchase on the mm-hmm. Art History Babes website. It's a really interesting print set and just really interesting concept and if you want to learn about it learn about the story behind it and learn about zach and his process and his life as an artist you can head over to our youtube channel and watch our featured artist video because we're on youtube now guys we got quite a few videos already we're on youtube we're just you're we're just expanding the content you can see our faces now yeah our faces are gonna match our mouths (laughs) Watch the words come out. (laughs) It's pretty great. It's cool. It's a pretty cool thing. So we do. We have a handful of videos up right now and we're going to keep making them and keep churning them out for you guys. So be sure to check out the YouTube, subscribe and like and hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put content out there. But yeah, so just some fun, exciting things. What else is going on? Do we have other exciting things to talk about? We're going to have new merch coming out soon. Oh yeah, merch. Summer merch is coming soon, which means spring merch is going to be going. So if there's anything that you've been thinking about getting and haven't pulled the trigger now might be the time now might be the time so head over to arthistorybabes.com check out our merch check out our featured artist check out all of our stuff that we're working on for you lovely people and for you lovely patrons shout out to all of our patrons on we love you so we love you so much patreon.com slash arthistorybabes you guys make it possible so thank you you're all amazing and uh let's get to the show from Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. I'm Ginny. I'm Jen. And we are the Art History Babes. Art History Babe Work Weekend. We're all together. All I love when out. this happens. Working. Working, together. working together on a weekend. Working together on a weekend. Yeah, it's work slash bender slash sleepover slash. It's been good. It's been good. I've been, I've been having a great time. Me too. I don't even know. Like, I'd be doing laundry right now. Yeah, you know, right? It's, yeah, this is great. I'd be like probably watching all the speeches from the March for Our Lives and like crying tears of sadness and hope and being which I did yesterday so I just be doing the same thing today <laughs> just um, be doing more of that <laughs> yeah but it's so amazing it is mm-hmm. it's so incredible like there was an 11 year old that got up and I was just like you are smarter than I am now and you are more eloquent and mm-hmm. this is this is the future Love yeah that, that makes me feel good though i want to i know right i want to see smart 11 year olds right yeah all of this is like made me feel a lot more hopeful than i felt in like a while right it yeah. feels good and i think this particular particular issue is 
for so long it's been at such a standstill and now people are finally being like no like mm-hmm. we're done and mm-hmm. and i feel like there's a shift you know just yeah. a huge shift with this yeah. argument happening which is so great because it has yeah. hit a brick wall for so long right. way too long yeah right? i just heard that ll bean came out saying that they will no longer sell guns and i Dick's said sporting, oh, sporting. what yeah i yeah. saw the Dick's I, sporting guns. i didn't yeah. know that yeah. ll bean sold guns exactly. where have i been <laughs> yeah. yeah that would have been my reaction too. yeah was, that was my LL reaction bean sells guns yeah <laughs> yeah just sold rain boots yeah right exactly yeah. i thought it was just clothing for sophisticated like 40 year old men mm. and i <laughs> I, I, yeah. I now who like to go glamping you right so who like to look like they right go glamping so you know, you know learn something new every day but you know what good on you totally. l.o bean totally. and uh dick sporting goods mm-hmm. yeah. that was a good one great great i realize i think that you would be surprised where you can buy guns you can buy guns anywhere it's, that's i know it's unreal ridiculous. Yeah. yeah well you know what um i tend not to hope for anything really but i i do hope that optimism this is, is the, just oozing out of you i just have i have none but um i really do hope that this is really like the beginning of right. like a real change because this oh, is yeah. insane like it is, the, it's, it's just, unreal it's just common sense like mm-hmm. there's no reason that someone can't buy a fucking can of beer until they're 21 but they can buy like a semi-automatic yeah, weapon it's, it's insane and there are lots of gun owners out there like reasonable gun right. owners that understand that they're like right. hey if this isn't going to affect me because i'm right. still going to be That's able to I, purchase a gun yeah. like this is just smart you i know? remember the feeling of realizing that like this conversation is not talking about like taking away gun owners rights yeah. and being like so what what is happening yeah. like i remember that vivid moment of been like okay then what's the conversation it yeah. shouldn't be i remember from like two years ago barack obama did like a town hall and you should youtube it it's really great he he's so clear like Mm -hmm. so clear because someone asks him about like taking away gun rights and he's like so crystal clear like that is not what is happening here like explaining exactly what the situation is and that you know common sense gun regulation is it has nothing to do with taking away people's rights you know and you get people that are so like up in arms about their second amendment rights and like oh it's an assault up in arms they're literally up in arms i know shit i didn't even think about that but i'll pretend that i did think about it even though i just told you all that i didn't think about it we'll just edit that part out yeah just edit it out make me sound flawless um but the thing about that too is like when the constitution was written and when people they were writing the second amendment like no one could fucking even imagine what kind of guns would later be yeah right right back then you had a musket and you had to you know shove the powder in it there's another video they're like who even wants this you know (laughs) there's a video where some they they do that it's like in a public space and they essentially reenact what a like quote unquote mass shooting would be like if you were using yes. guns like they had back when yeah. the second amendment was written and it's ridiculous like yeah. because it takes it forever and everyone's like gone but <laughs> like it's just like a ridiculous 
thing because yeah. it would not work, you yeah. know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's the refusal to understand we live in a completely different time right. than when that was written. And also the constitution has what we call amendments. Like <laughs> It's been amended before. Yeah. <laughs> like the second one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dude, like, kind of like can, that. We can amend things when things change. It's like, just <laughs> crazy. It's like that maluse of history where you like intentionally forget certain uh, like obstruct certain things from history to serve your own purpose but then you also just like clutch on to these things where it's like well it's part of our history oh, yeah, yeah right but, like it's so choosy slaves were you know manual laborers and it's like what the fuck <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> yeah it's it, it's interesting though that the different ways people use history for mm-hmm. agendas mm-hmm. um and and i think it also has some interesting ties to human perception because totally. it's partially the way you perceive the right. situation yeah. too right. anyways we <laughs> support all y'all <laughs> i'm so proud of all of you yeah. any of yeah. you like young people are listening to this who like went out in march and have like been doing things at school i'm so impressed for mm-hmm. real it's, it's so cool you're the best around Something bring you down. Bring you down. Um. All right. Before we get into today's episode, just want to give a quick shout out to our producer level patron, Sarah Sawachka Dalton is producer level helping the art history babes out. Thank you so much, Sarah. We love you, Sarah. Bless thee, thank thee. Yes, we very much appreciate it. If you want to become a patron at any level, just head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. We have a really cute new photo up. We're looking real good. <laughs> looking real good. Check in it out. Photo. Um, but yeah, there's multiple levels, different perks, and you too can be a producer if you so wish. Yes. So thank you so much, Sarah. We appreciate you. On today's episode, we are talking about such a fun topic. I'm so excited about this. We are discussing synesthesia. I've, I have a really hard time saying it. I think it's, it's a hard Me word. Too. Synesthesia. Synesthesia. There's a song where it's called synesthesia, but they pronounce it like synesthesia. And I'm like, I don't think that's right. But whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe for rhyming purposes. Yeah, I think it's for... Uh. For, for the <laughs> You're art. Probably right. <laughs> but I could be wrong. Who knows? I don't know. I think it's synesthesia. Synesthesia though. sounds right. Mm. And for the purposes yeah, of. Synesthesia, amnesia. I right? The older I, I get, you don't say the less amnesia. Say amnesia. Amnesia. Maybe some people do, though. The older <laughs> I get, the less like particular I'm getting about pronunciation because yeah. I'm like, there are English words that between different English speaking countries are pronounced so different yes. that I'm like. I mean, if you're like butchering someone's name right. in an offensive way, that's not. I mean, it's British. also people but. say schedule. Yeah, right. Exactly. What? There's like so many little variations that I'm like, meh. But the fun thing about American English, though, is like a lot of those differences, at least between us and the British, were just intentional to be oh, like, yeah. we're different from a British. <laughs> like we Hold just up. like we're intentionally. Gonna we're going to spell schedule. color without the U. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not trying to go on a tangent, but. <laughs> but I'm going to go on a tangent. I'm gonna. <laughs> no, I heard that the modern day British accent is like a relatively new thing and that British people, when they came over to the US, you know, before it was the US, would have had like an entirely different accent. Like it mm. didn't sound like it sounds today. I mean, that makes sense. I'd, I wouldn't We don't su- sound like our American. Mm. That's so like, true. All you need to do is watch The Witch and you're like, Whoa. I was about to say. <laughs> I can't understand anything. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> I watched, I still haven't English seen that time. movie. <laughs> no, no, I don't. 
I think there probably has been because on both sides that was a very like um, the Americans and the British were trying to like make mm-hmm. their language mm-hmm. uniquely their right. own. I think we probably both right. just moved mm-hmm. in those directions. And the, if the British have upped their accent, like that wouldn't surprise S- me. So in case you don't know what synesthesia is, it is a neurological phenomenon in which two or more senses overlap. So the example that's heard most commonly um, is people that see music as colors. So when they hear music, they actually, you know, see in their mind's eye. They see see different colors moving. They a lot oftentimes associate very specific colors with certain musical notes. You know, it's it, so cool. There's a very clear connection. So it's not just like random colors or anything. Like there's a specific certain music, certain sounds can trigger colors they can also trigger shapes they can trigger all kinds of different effects there are many many ways synesthesia manifests people often associate colors with tastes so mm-hmm. like taste something like this tastes blue yeah um you what? some people can feel voices like they can have mm-hmm. a tactile response to certain voices for some people foods taste like colors sounds of all kinds can trigger different kinds of visuals some people it is color some people it's shapes mm-hmm. What are known as graphemes are, are when letters and numbers have specific colors uh, like associated with them or even personalities. So people will be like, the number nine is like a... A vixen. Yeah, a vixen, exactly. Or like they, they Ooh, right? Whoa. I know, isn't that interesting? What happens a lot with this, with graphemes is almost like personal color codes mm. so people will like every letter of the alphabet like it just has naturally a color associated with it yeah and there's actually this story so um recently they did a science friday episode where they talked about synesthesia and some new research that's being done on synesthesia it actually just happened like last week and they were telling the story about someone that works for science friday that has synesthesia and she says she like gets in trouble when giving people directions for like the MTA mm-hmm. um, for like public transportation because for her, because you know how like all the lines are color coded, yeah. like blue line, yeah, red yeah. line, whatever. For her, the lines have different color associations. Mm-hmm. So she like associates one line of public transportation with a different color than it's actually color coded. So she's created her own color code because of her synesthesia. So if she tells you to take the blue line, it's probably something different from what it actually is. Interesting. And now I'm curious about remembering color theory, how we talked about like all the people in the world who have a fourth cone in their eye are women. Mm -hmm. And that women tend to be able to see more colors than men. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a gender association with synesthesia or like with certain types of synesthesia or if it's kind of just across the board Mm. for sure. There's definitely, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but they are saying that there is something hereditary about it, that there is a gene. Mm -hmm. So I... I, I don't know that they've done any like, you know, gender research, mm-hmm. but that would be interesting to look at. Also, just like co- I know color blindness is like yeah. in men. Yeah. Like, right. That's what I'm thinking yeah. is like some of these things they can trace to gender and not like it's ex- mutually exclusive necessarily, but, but there are correlations. The DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like connection. Let's see. Other examples. Phonemes are when words are associated with something else. So um, for some people, like, college tastes like sausage. Like, they taste sausage. What? Yeah. So any word with, like, an adj sound tastes like sausage. So if I say the word sausage, they taste sausage. Well, yeah, but that's not weird. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like, like associating the taste of sausage with the word sausage. <laughs> but then also, like, it, do they associate like hearing the word or yeah. when they say it? Like, does it have to be happening in their mouth mm. or is it like even just hearing it? I think it's hearing it okay. too. I think it's because it's the association of the word. It's the connecting yeah. the word to <laughs> That'd be a, so distracting a if you were response. tasting different things all the time while yeah. people were dogging you. Especially when you're like, you know, I guess you get a used senior to in high school and everyone's like, where are you going to go to college? <laughs> you decided on what college you're going to? <laughs> when you start college, what's your major in college? You're just like, you just I grow hate to hate sausage. I hate sausage at that point. Um, so I think that, yeah, that one's a pretty common one mm. where people... Uh, have triggers with words so which which makes perfect sense because the way our brain works is like you hear a word and right. we associate meaning right. with it right. there's just a crossover with a sense for these same people so while their brain is pulling their knowledge of the word college you mm-hmm. know why their brain is, is is pulling out college means this it's mm-hmm. also just pulling out this sense response that yeah. has connected to that neuron yeah that represents the word college right so it's just like this deeper experience of that word Synesthesia is considered a trait, not a disorder. I was about to ask. Um, it is not like it isn't considered something that is that impacts your life in a negative way. In right. fact, most people consider it like enhancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, I would. It helps memory for very obvious reasons because you have stronger connections to mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. If you know just like about basic kind of like memory and neuroscience is the more connections you have to any one idea, faster your recall is mm-hmm. because you've created connections. So that's why it's actually really smart when you're studying to connect your information to, to novel things, mm-hmm. like not just the, the information that you need, but to make novel connections because yeah. then it's easier to recall the information. Did you um, ever listen to that guy who's like, he I don't know if he has like the best memory or he's famous for how well he remembers yes, things yeah. and he talks about how he remembers oh, things. The memory palace. Yeah. Yes. And he yes, walks yes, through yes. this fictional place space yeah. in his head and he's like describing to you what he's visualizing yeah. and it's and there's like numbers and colors and storylines all involved totally. and it's fascinating. And I was like, I could never do that, but I'm so amazed by you. Yeah, totally. he he creates a whole world so yeah. he can memorize stuff and he's like a memory world champion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It was um, some obscure title. Or yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> recognition um so just i mean for all those uh, out there that are like studying for shit right now just a little tip trick try and create novel connections for your information Mm -hmm. um but essentially so people with synesthesia tend to have better memories because they have these very intense connections Mm -hmm. like actual physical sensual connections so they can you know recall that information better there is also some issues that come with it like they're discovering in the research that people with synesthesia do sometimes have a problem in educational settings because there's a contradiction between what their brains are doing and and the common curriculum like for example for some people like the number three will be associated with like blue and the number four will be associated with red but seven isn't purple so it 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 messes with yeah or like like so the colors and the numbers don't work correctly yeah or so it can mess with with sure and there's no like exact science to it right it's just whatever associations their brains are making so you can't be like this color is this letter to people with synesthesia or whatever there's not necessarily anything objective or logical about it i mean for some i think the example like it more i know right (laughs) i think some examples like the college tasting like sausage makes more sense to me because the word sausage does elicit like a bit of a taste response i think as just being a human if you think about it you start to taste (laughs) sausage you know so Mm. the idea 
idea that a word that sounds like sausage tastes like sausage that makes more logical sense to me yeah but there yeah there are plenty of different ways this manifests and there isn't necessarily a logical you know reason to it yeah oh also in terms of synesthesia to some degree we all kind of have it. We just don't have it in like the diagnosable sense. So basically people with synesthesia, it is a heightened version of something that everyone's brain does Mm -hmm. because all of our senses map to one another to some degree. All of us have crossing of our senses that Mm -hmm. happens for example like that's why when we use the term like sweet person we understand that you're associating a flavor you're associating sweet to a person but we understand that you know just like inherently to mean like pleasurable yeah exactly um so it's it's an example of associating a word a flavor with a word and like so that's an example of just like our senses uh, mapping to one another but to someone with synesthesia you know that could be taken to a higher level to mm-hmm. where they they feel sugar like yeah. they taste sugar or right. or it could be something or it could be associated to a color as well or something so it's basically just taking that and heightening it even further mm-hmm. some famous people with synesthesia there's quite a few of them david hockney that makes sense to me yeah david hockney billy joel mm. lady gaga composer vladimir nobakov oh he was a writer he wrote Lolita. Mm-hmm. Who was I thinking was the, I thought I... Lolites. Vladimir Nabokov, though, was... Who was the composer? A I think synes- I forgot to wrote. A synesthete. It's that. interesting, though, that he was. Nabokov? Mm-hmm. You know what's... When I found out about that, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense because just um, his writing style is so sensual. Yeah. Not because of his, like you know lusting. thematic like <laughs> elements but just <laughs> lusting after a young girl <laughs> um but just like in the way he writes yeah. like i i get that yeah yeah tori amos vasily kandinsky who jen's gonna talk about a bit duke ellington mm. pharrell williams of- mm. yeah okay correct me if i'm wrong because i'm i might be remembering this incorrectly but doesn't quest love have it didn't he say that in oh. a piece of work hmm I think he does. Yeah. I think he said he does have synesthesia. Which I think so. I think so too. I yeah. I'm pretty check, sure. I think we talked about I, I think we talked I th- about that. Yeah, it's music and color too. for him. Oh, cool. Um cuz we were talking about uh Eve Klein. Yes. And it was in Abby yes, Jacobson's yeah, yeah, piece of work. Quest Love out there hearing Cuz I know when we heard that we were like of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> cuz he's just like the coolest Amazing. person. Uh Van Gogh was thought to have it. Uh apparently there's this anecdote anecdote that mm. during piano lessons he would associate notes with colors and his piano teacher took this as a sign that he was insane and asked him to leave that Aww. dutch bitch <laughs> man van gogh just uh, every time i find out something new about him it then it's just sad and unfair it's always yeah, right? sad. and i'm just like oh it just pushes like the van gogh arrow that's already in my heart yeah just in like just a deeper a centimeter deeper yeah it's just, like, each thing i hear is like <laughs> Like, oh, Van Gogh. So sad. Um, just buddy. really quickly, though, to jump back to Questlove. Oh. In 2016, The Roots came out with a song called Bittersweet, which is meant to harness sy- synesthesia. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, we should yeah, listen. listen to that. Yeah, yeah, we should listen to that after this. Ah, uh, The Roots. Love it. I know. So great. 
so some of the science behind this, um, as I said, there's a, a newer episode of Science Friday about it. So go check that out. The scientific understanding of this is, is quite limited. But many people in the neuroscience community are currently working on it, including Amanda Tilo, Tilot and Ed Hubbard. So approximately 4% of the world population has synesthesia in some form or another. There is evidence that it's hereditary. They're mm. still kind of working that out, but they do see a difference in uh, a markable difference in yeah. genes of people with synesthesia. And they also see a connection in families. So if like parents and kids having it is pretty common. Mm -hmm. The genes involving how neurons connect to one another are overrepresented in people that have synesthesia. Mm -hmm. So like they have more genes that affect the way neurons connect to one another, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Um, And these genes predispose the brain to make these extra connections. So there's also a theory that we all have synesthesia as babies Oh. And they've done they've done a study on this, and and the evidence suggests that that could be true. That you know we do things like associate colors with shapes and mm-hmm. and make these overlapping connections yeah. as babies. But that as we grow, a person that doesn't have synesthesia, those connections fade away. They get replaced by like things that were taught, like societally. Maybe it does mm. that seem like. I don't know that they get replaced by things that were taught. I think it's just because that's the, like the way the brain works is that over time connections that don't serve you get removed because you it, it keeps the functioning mm-hmm. of the brain higher mm-hmm. and i think it's just for people with synesthesia their connections are just stronger for some yeah. reason so those those stick around um which goes back to their memories just being stronger right. you know right. i think it might just be you know when we're babies we're making sense of those basic things and making yeah. sense of our senses yeah. so it would make sense <laughs> lots of sense going yeah, on yeah it would make sense that those that we would have those overlapping associations right. because we're learning how to map out the world right um i wonder how they have been able to discover that babies have uh, synesthesia they did a experiment where they would show babies like colors repeatedly and to see how long it took before they'd get bored you know mm-hmm. because babies are always about like stimuli yeah. um and so they would like show a color repeatedly you know to see how long it would take before they get bored i think the color was red and then they would they somehow like i think they created the so an association between shapes and colors and then they would find mm-hmm. that like the the amount of time that it took for a baby to get bored with red was like the same amount of time it took to get bored with a triangle or something or or they associated or it wasn't the same amount of time it was they associated colors with shapes Mm -hmm. and then if a baby was bored with a certain color they would also be bored with the corresponding shape or something like that so so does that make sense Mm -hmm. it would register the same yeah so yeah so i mean that's kind of a vague way but that was my understanding of it so it suggested that there was a connection between the shape and the color um and i think they're you know going to do more research on that as well also another big question can you learn synesthesia and the answer at least that ed hubbard gave uh is kind of as i said there it's it's hereditary and Mm -hmm. like there are people that just experience it and experience it super intensely like for some people it's distracting sometimes you know um like one woman said like she'll she can't really listen to music in the car because it distracts her from driving oh shit yeah um so it can it can be really intense for a lot of people but as far as learning it goes you can always improve connections in your brain and you Mm -hmm. can Mm -hmm. do exercises that kind of 
are synesthetic in nature like that are you know creating associations between like music and color and that's why if you have like an artist that like you know is also a musician you Mm -hmm. know you're gonna have overlapping of those kind of neurons and so you can foster it to a certain degree but it has to be a little more induced and some people have successfully done that to where now they their brain does create colors when they listen to music but it's not the same like it's it's more induced it's not just something that happens to them you know what I mean it's like um a trait they they fostered that they've practiced so so kind of if you want to to create these kind of connections between your senses like you can actively do that Mm -hmm. to some degree Mm -hmm. also they're currently doing a study involving synesthesia so if any of our listeners have synesthesia of any kind um, you can participate from anywhere in the world it's a voluntary study oh cool yeah so head over to www.mpi.nl slash synesthesia we'll put a link in the show notes too Um, and they actually have quizzes too if you're not sure if you have synesthesia nice (laughs) so you can like take some quizzes play around and and then yeah um you can volunteer to be a part of this cool study so uh that's that's basically that's what i got on the science of synesthesia nice i think before we dive into some of our artistic examples we should take a quick break we'll be right back Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. Going to talk about some famous um, examples, or well, one of my favorite famous examples by the man's name, Vasily Kandinsky. Vasily Kandinsky was in <laughs> what happened by, by the, the man's, man's name. name. <laughs> Can I start Vasily over? Vasily Kandinsky <laughs> by the man's name. <laughs> You guys would catch that. <laughs> I'm starting over. Ooh. <laughs> Vasily Kandinsky. God damn it. You guys. It's your I'm fault. Sorry, sorry. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Vasily Kandinsky. He was an artist and he was one of the, not, not pioneers, but he, he really believed that abstraction was a truer art form and so a lot of his abstract work though is unique in the sense that his synesthesia really comes through so he had synesthesia for him music and color were inextricably tied to one another this relationship was very clear for Kandinsky so much that he did associate every note with an exact hue He once said that the sound of colors is so definite that it would be hard to find anyone who would express bright yellow with bass notes or a dark lake with trouble. Obviously. I mean, come on. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, it was after having an unusually visual response to a performance of Wagner's composition, Lohengrin, at the Bolshoi Theater. Mm -hmm. that um, he abandoned his career, um, his law career, 
to study painting at the prestigious Munich Academy of Fine Arts. I, I didn't, didn't know I didn't, that. I know. Which makes sense. I didn't either. Now I'm like wanting to talk to my dad because he loves Kandinsky and Dude. I wonder if he knows that because yeah. my dad's a lawyer oh, for all of you listeners. Hey wow. dad, you're he probably is. listening to this. He's a lawyer and an artsy man. He is an artsy man. Who he has wears a, a turtleneck better than anyone. And yep. he kind of looks like Anderson Cooper. He does kind of yeah. look like Anderson <laughs> Cooper. He gets that a lot. We And he has a huge Kandinsky print in his oh. house. And I still want to do a segment somehow related to the podcast where we take my five-year-old brother yeah. and talk about the Kandinsky with him and see his I perspective. that would be great. I really want to do yeah. that. I would love to do that. Right? And bless Felix. <laughs> and uh, Felix, if you're listening... Have you considered studying painting? <laughs> um, he used to be quite the artist when he was younger. Wow. So. Later on, Kandinsky would describe this as a life-changing experience. And he said, I saw all my colors in spirit before my eyes. Wild, almost crazy lines were sketched in front of me. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. to feel like you're always tripping balls. <laughs> like, right? you know, all you got to do is hear some like pretty, you know, compelling music. There was when Corey was saying like, can you teach yourself synesthesia there was a part of me that was like there's probably a drug that can oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called acid <laughs> for real but the thing is though what's interesting is most people's synesthesia like they don't feel that way at all because that's all they've known very similar to colorblind yeah. people until for a lot of them until someone says like that's not the yeah. way things are people are like what like, well, yeah. like winston and new girl yes, he's yes. like these are my favorite green shoes and they're like those are brown uh, yeah. wow yeah very much so I'll, um a lot of times people you know just assume that their associations with like music and color is what everyone associates and right. so they'll ha- they'll have a moment of like someone not knowing what the fuck they're talking about or something before right. they realize like oh this is like a different thing yeah, totally that's why originally i was going to ask if synesthesia is considered um like a disability mm-hmm. because i could see it causing problems like in kandinsky's case it was quite the asset to his art career. Mm-hmm. Kandinsky gave many of his paintings musical titles, such as composition or improvisation. This is um, something that I think is really common now. Well, like you know, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was common before Kandinsky. Right, like, right. Um, what's his face? The flying rocket. Uh, oh, uh, just Sergeant. Uh, no, no, not the, the flying rocket. Uh, the night evil Knievel mm. <laughs> no <laughs> the, the father of modernism yeah the yeah, father uh, of modernism <laughs> flying rocket yeah it, no it's called night something yeah but the it rocket looks, it looks like a yeah uh, you know I studied baroque art so I don't we've talked really about him on the, the father of modernism rocket John. man Elton John <laughs> it's definitely Elton John <laughs> uh James yes. Abbott McNeil Whistler, Whistler, Nocturne in Black and Gold, also known as the Falling Rocket. <laughs> there we go. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Hold up. Whistler is the father of modernism? No, yeah. this painting. This painting was a big deal okay. like a, um, in modernism mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we should actually do like a whole episode on, on oh, this painting, yeah. to be honest. Um, it looks amazing. Oh, it's a beautiful it's painting. really beautiful. But he, he made it and it went to court actually mm-hmm. because people are like what the fuck is this shit because it's well, super 
abstract. Well, yeah. it was uh, someone. Yeah. Well, someone <laughs> uh, was talking bad about it, like criticizing uh-huh. it, and then it was a whole. Um, yeah, it was like a slander case. Oh, Weird. where it was like, is it slanderous to say this, or is it not art? <laughs> Wasn't that kind of the premise? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the but the I don't know anything about this. I've it's neither. So interesting. That's wild. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very important case in just like the turn into modernism yeah. because wow. the the counter argument was that he's not creating art because it's it's not it's too abstract too abstract yeah um and that was like the legitimate legal argument against it but anyways that's all an entirely different thing (laughs) that we will talk about some other time (laughs) well that's okay i mean the point being that i don't know maybe whistler thought similar ideas about color and music although kandinsky wasn't the first and certainly wasn't the last to give his paintings musical titles i believe that for him it was really appropriate and he really did think in this musical way when he was painting kandinsky would also create a piece that was uh, conceived for the theater it was a experimental performance-based expression of synesthesia called the yellow sound. Mm. He composed a few of these theater pieces, but the yellow sound is the most famous and it utilized original musical scores, lighting and various media to explore prevalent uh, color theories of the time. So the yellow sound or in German der gelbe Klang is an experimental theater piece originated by Kandinsky in 1909. It was the earliest and the most influential of four color tone dramas that Kandinsky conceived for theater between 1909 and 1914. The others were titled The Green Sound, Black and White, and Violet. Kandinsky's pieces were part of this larger trend of the era that addressed color theory and synesthesia in works that blended multiple art forms and media. Other works such as uh, one called uh, Prometheus by Scriabin 1910 is arguably the best known and these works would utilize lighting and other innovations to extend the normal range of artistic expression. So early 20th century real experimental stuff and Kandinsky was so fascinated by these ideas that he actually would publish a book on his own theory on color and synesthesia. Returning quickly just to his opera, because it was a one-act opera, The Yellow Sound. There was no dialogue or conventional plot. It was divided into six pictures. There was a child in white and an adult performer in black representing life and death. Mm. Other figures were costumed in single colors, including five intensely yellow giants or people as large as possible. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was a person as, as large, large as, as possible. Find someone as I large take as an possible. Extra large person. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also vague red creatures, somewhat suggesting birds. Kandinsky sadly never saw the yellow sound performed during his lifetime. He and his colleagues in a group called their their blue writer the blue oh, writer we should do an episode on them mm-hmm. i would sure. love i would love including franz mark august mm-hmm. mack and alfred cuban worked intensively on a planned 1914 munich production but it was canceled by the outbreak of world war one yeah. funny how that just kind of gets in the way you know things. 
Kandinsky believed that uh, color had the ability to put viewers in touch with their spiritual selves. Mm. He believed that yellow could be uh, very disturbing. Blue awakened the highest mm-hmm. spiritual aspirations. Yep. We'll, we will touch on the blue writer again. I think it'd be really fun to do an episode on that. But really quick, this whole group were just um, an informal sort of group of intellectuals that had similar philosophical ideas uh, focused on spirituality, uh, symbolism, these issues uh, mainly in art. Uh, many of their members, especially Kandinsky, really truly believed that abstraction was this pathway to utopia, a new spiritual age. And so they chose the color blue mm-hmm. as part of their name because um, it was considered to be the color of transcendence mm-hmm. and spirituality. Yeah, I think they came up very briefly in our abex <clears throat> episode yes yes, yes. Oh, we totally. did talk and about when, them even back when we did color theory and we i talked, talked about, about blue it, yeah. mm-hmm. i, I might have mentioned them but i actually don't know if i, I don't did, know but if you I, did but but i remember it yeah. the very least thinking like oh shit how could i have like not brought them up but they deserve their like own yeah. episode at a certain point because blue is like it just has that association of like kind of spiritual mm-hmm. and something yes. somewhat intangible that is really what's interesting. That, what's that song? Blue is the most human color. Ooh, are, I don't oh, know. I don't know. It's not like a well-known song, but it's like a song I liked when I was younger. And nice. the whole thing is like, yeah. blue is the most human color. And I was like, wow. I didn't even know why, but I, I was like, blue. that really struck me. I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, so the studies that he did for his final, the the final painting which was uh, Composition 7, painted in 1913. He did many studies for this work. And so many of the studies originated in these like biblical themes of transformation and the last judgment and really reflecting Kandinsky's search for something moving away from the material world into a divine realm. He emphasized these ideas in his painting and and so color was some sort of vehicle for Kandinsky's search for this like divine in mm-hmm. art towards mm-hmm. some sort of utopic future. So you know, let's just put this in context to early twentieth century. Everyone's trying to create a utopia Mm -hmm. we just uh wrapped up an episode on a a bb on the Bauhaus. check that one out we're about to do impressionism ideas there's some in that too utopia man they were like the world is changing really fast (laughs) we need answers (laughs) there's so many good like utopian novels from that time frame too absolutely Mm -hmm. they were just just trying to figure it all out, and like now, frantically trying yeah. to. What's like, happening? <laughs> I love it. Now we've moved to dystopia. Now yeah. we're obsessed with like a dystopia. Sure, and sure. Like, what's that going to look like? Because the utopia is not happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we tried. It's not. And then postmodernism working. happened, and we were like, nah. nah. <laughs> Actually, I feel like I think I've talked about this before, but I think I think we're in a place because yeah, we are definitely concerned with the dystopia. Like, undoubtedly, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. present. But I also think there is a a, a very hopeful utopian like um thread that runs through our weird like postmodern cynicism you yeah. know what i mean i feel like we found this weird place between cynical and hopeful right now like when you say we define myself yeah. right 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 um i mean just like societally like like or I like think, liberal-minded society i feel like yeah more. i mean i guess i'm thinking in terms of like like there was postmodernism uh-huh. and now we're in a different phase that is 
uh, came from the postmodern and mm. the cynicism of the postmodern and that's still there but yeah. now we're being a little more hopeful and optimistic and like trying to kind of trying to reach for a utopia but in a yeah. different way but know? yeah the reason i guess i'm like clarifying the reason i'm clarifying liberal is because it's like the idea of like trying to save the planet and mm-hmm. do things like this and then yeah. i feel like there's also another side of that where people who just don't care are more like let's watch it all burn like yeah i'm only gonna be here for 50 more years so like let's just let and it all crumble and it's sad up, yeah totally and yeah. they're like straight up people especially i mean i'm just mainly speaking of america but there are a lot of people in this country that think that like the world is going to end and that the apocalypse is mm-hmm. upon us so mm-hmm. they're like well <laughs> i also i totally agree yeah. but i also feel like that's been all of history people that's always true. thought the apocalypse yeah, was coming true. at like every moment that's true. there are people that were like it's coming yeah. like jesus is coming back it's coming oh, right it now happened on that day that i said well okay i changed i changed <laughs> my um, predictions were wrong and, and uh, uh, i i researched the sacred texts <laughs> and actually it's three years from that day yeah. <laughs> so i think that's just manifestation of fear in humans throughout yes. all of time is like well the end the world's ending like yeah. and i mean they're not wrong because it will end someday but sure. <laughs> right you know what's wild hmm. is i feel that with the onset of the industrial revolution and modernity and this specific moment in time in late 19th early 20th century where everything was changing so fast if someone were to say this is the beginning of the apocalypse, I don't think they would be wrong because look where we are now. We're about to blow ourselves up. <laughs> that's just facts. <laughs> I don't know that that's facts. It's facts. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I, just, I don't think like I yeah. think it's possible, but I, I, I do. I think it's similar. I think we're always on the edge of the apocalypse. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm placing my bet now. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to blow ourselves up in the I next hundred years. Red Fahrenheit for... 51 that's oh, such dude. a good that book, book yeah. man i had never read it actually it's um, it's rough i didn't have a class i feel like a lot of people read it at a certain age in school and school. Yeah, yeah my teacher none of my teachers ever had me read it so um i just re- read it recently and it's a good book to read right now yeah <laughs> it's a great book <laughs> it's yeah. crazy how things from it's it's all cyclical like these cultural yeah. works yeah. you know like they'll be very very relevant in the period that they're made and then they're kind of like eh. and mm-hmm. then there's like a resurgence of mm-hmm. it how everything sort of circles back around and in, in this crazy way where you can read things or watch things or see art or whatever if that's from decades ago and yet in the context that you're reading it can be very relevant almost like prophetic where it's like how did they know it, like, it felt like it could be a black mirror episode honestly yeah. that's what I, I kept thinking mm-hmm. was like this is like the predecessor to black mirror <laughs> but yeah. yeah no i agree i think history is incredibly cyclical yes. like absolutely like, undeniably cyclical you you, you always some crazy intricate pattern oh yeah that, that and you're yeah. always coming back and revisiting things yeah. that weren't yeah. fully figured you know out. what it is is because this is really a simulation <laughs> right <laughs> the, the aliens controlling yeah. our lives are just running a, a code. That's the the most likely scenario. Yeah. I think is we're just like we're in a video all just game. Sims. <gasps> yeah, we're just Sims. <laughs> Go see our. Uh, all right, is it out yet? though? No, not yet. But uh, we have a hot it? a hot takes conspiracy theories episode <laughs> where we discuss simulation theory. Not that that's even a conspiracy theory. That's no. just like a legitimate yeah. theory. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like our listeners are slowly but surely observing our like existential like crisis. <laughs> yeah 
meltdown <laughs> over <laughs> like this last year like we're out of school and uh what's uh, going on what if someone writes their thesis on like observing the art history babes <clears throat> evolution and like, our, like they just like yeah. observe us and by like our last episode we're just like nothing matters <laughs> we're all gonna die so back to synesthesia. I don't feel that way. <laughs> no, Corey is like adamant. Corey will never feel that way. Well, I just, I don't know. I like, I definitely have the existential crises, but I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that uh, scary or, or dire, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. And that's also like why I like art is because yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't make me feel like it's scary and we're yeah. all going to die. I know. You know I'm just I mean? like, there's meaning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's exactly. hope and there's meaning. <laughs> Did you have more to say about our pal Kandinsky? Jen? No, I just, uh, I think that he's great. And, um, <laughs> I think he's great. I was, I, do I just want to. Speaking of art that makes you him. feel hopeful and like there's meaning. I have always felt that way about Kandinsky. Agreed. I do think there's something very spiritual about his work and I, I love colors. So yeah. it's just, yeah, I've never looked at a Kandinsky and felt like, Ugh. like I've yeah. always just felt like, huh, <laughs> right? It's, really it's nice, like energized. Yeah, and yeah. Interesting and yeah, Kandinsky's yeah. great. Oh, I love yeah. him. Let's take another quick break, and we'll be right back. We're back, people. We're, We're back. back. Oh. And we are talking about synesthesia among uh, many other things. <laughs> many other important Okay, topics. okay, okay. Here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. I'm going to explain it to our listeners and to ourselves. This is a very, like, heady topic. It is. And it's, it is. Yeah. It's really, like... Conceptual. Just, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's easy conceptual. To jump. And it's, you know, we're talking, we're talking about, about... perception. The doors of perception. Perception, our senses how they can get crossed in the ether of our brain network of neurons so it's some heavy shit so that yeah that relates to spirituality really quick which relates to everything else existentialism the destruction of mankind (laughs) so we're on topic okay (laughs) we are we we, we're we are i think it our conversations definitely uh make sense to us but let's let's try and steer us a little more like synesthesia this is the art (laughs) and um so here we go (laughs) on to another path of synesthesia 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 you're saying it was like a little bit of an italian yeah that i like oh just in the way you're like Synesthesia. Yeah. Ooh. Just the end. You're like, oh, I love Allora. when I <laughs> love when Ginny says things in an Italian way. Okay. <laughs> so I was looking up, trying to look up more artists like Kandinsky who more than likely had or have synesthesia. And I came across a contemporary artist named Melissa McCracken, who is a 26 year old artist from Missouri who processes songs as colors and the specific branch of synesthesia that she has is chromesthesia. God, these words. That's what Van Gogh had. Okay. Chromesthesia. What is that? So it's seeing sounds as colors. So Kandinsky then would have also Mm -hmm. experienced this. Okay. It's one of the more common Right. I could see that especially for visual artists. Totally. Yeah. So it's or, what a lot of musical artists and visual artists yes. have. Nice. Uh, so for her, color floats in her vision, but 
according to her, it isn't obtrusive or it doesn't mm-hmm. have any kind of hallucinogenic quality. And she was born with this. You know, it, she thought it was very common and that everyone had it until she was 16. And she, this is an interview from a Vice Broadly article where she said she was trying to pick out a ringtone and her phone was blue and she was talking to her friend she was like I want to pick a ringtone that's orange because blue and orange are complementary colors and her friend was like what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) what so she didn't even know that she was exceptional in that way Mm -hmm. until she was a teenager so she is an artist and began sort of painting memories and linking those memories to specific songs that triggered different parts of her life, like really noteworthy periods in her life. And then from there she began painting uh, some of her favorite songs. And now she even paints songs by commission. So if you get in touch with her and you say, I love this song, can you paint it? She, she doesn't necessarily do all of them. If it's one that doesn't resonate with her a lot or there's just not enough variety mm-hmm. to get like a lot of colors or a strong composition, she will say no. Like she said that she never does country songs because <laughs> um, they're mostly acoustic yeah. and that doesn't offer enough variety in terms of I like rhythm and instruments and all that. According to her, Melissa, the most fun kind of music for her to paint is funk and I'm like yeah that's oh, so, yeah, that would be so yeah. fun. she and Questlove need to sit down wow like, that could be such a fun collaboration right? that could be the best collaboration so she said that funk music produces some of the most colorful compositions nice. because of all the different rhythms and melodies and instruments so you've got horns you've got drums you've got guitar bass and that it just creates this like beautiful saturated color effect that she's able to paint. According to her, guitars are generally golden Ooh. and angled. And piano is more marbled and jerky because of the chords. Ooh. Yeah. Um, if she paints the same song twice, it will still be somewhat unique, even though like a lot of the colors will be the same. And like we'll post images of her work because it's really cool. Like it's very it's gorgeous it's, mm-hmm. and versatile. Exactly. They all look very different. Right. I feel like this could be a really good um, like introduction to abstract art for people who don't quite yeah. get it. Because yeah, 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 yeah. The association of like it's abstracted, but it's connected to like how she hears yeah. music. I think that could register to it's people who don't connect to abstract I art. I agree. Totally. It's abstracted, but it's representative. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Totally. Because like. You know, you can see like the differences. She did one um, join repetition by Prince. So obviously I love that one. (laughs) I love you, Prince. I miss you still. Um, But that one has like so much energy Mm -hmm. and it even has the color purple. Yeah, it's very purpley. Um, It's kind of got like Easter colors, but like set against black. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, So like even if she listens to a song like that, like join repetition twice, it's going to have some of that same energy and obviously some of the same colors. But she does a lot of like paint splatter and really like gestural brushwork like it's very textured and kind of like she's just feeling it so even though she's seen some of the same colors she also can notice something new like if she picks up a new bass line in a song that she hadn't noticed before the composition is going to look different the second time mm-hmm. she does it um so like when you look at her painting of join repetition compared to cello suite number one by bach 
They're so different because this one's so tranquil. I know, right? And when you listen to that song, just kind of like you can picture like the movement of the notes and this sort of sweeping and like ebbing and flowing melody, Mm -hmm. and that it makes sense to look at that. Um, It's like it's tranquil, but it's also kind of heavy. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And there's not as many colors. Because there aren't as many instruments. Mm -hmm. She met another artist with synesthesia. Synesthesia. (laughs) And they both painted Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. Oh, that's got to be a good one. Yeah. If I didn't include it in our thing here, but uh, we'll post the article and it has a lot of different paintings that that she's done and they're just, they're so cool and they're so beautiful and vibrant and they're all really unique. But Little Wing by her version was a, entirely different from this other artist. That's awesome. I love it. And she was just like, you know, that just goes to show how it's still very subjective. Oh, yeah. And that not all people with synesthesia see the same shit. They don't see the same colors relating to different sounds. Like, it's all very unique to that person. Mm -hmm. Do you Um, think um, she's painting them while listening to the song? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, she doesn't say that. It doesn't say that explicitly in the article, Mm -hmm. but definitely she has to do that in order to get Mm -hmm. the impression of the colors. And she also has said that more than often she paints songs, but she did a painting for her mom based on the sounds of her mom's footsteps. Like she has a memory of her mom's kind of like clacking shoe footsteps and how that sound to her was this really beautiful, comforting purple. And so she made a painting based off of that. And like, I I mean, I was thinking about that too, where it's like, if I had to assign a color of association to my mom, it would probably be purple. Yeah. Um, I would say purple or blue to your Your mom's a purple vibe for Mm -hmm. sure. She's got a very like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like matronly... But like sassy, yeah. <laughs> but also kind of like tranquil. At I was the gonna same say, time. yeah, yeah, like sassy, but also comforting. Like yeah, sassy in the way that you know that she would use that sass <laughs> to protect you from sure. anything. She's yeah. a total, a total mama bear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, can we talk about this Radiohead painting? I love I'm obsessed it. With I knew it. you would want to. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> it's beautiful, and she has a couple that she did for Radiohead songs, but the one that Corey is talking about is Karma Police. Oh, it's so and good. It is just the most vibrant, mm-hmm. just rich. And it's beautiful because the background is the, are all these like really beautiful dark blues and like indigos and really, really dark colors. And then she has all these little like brush strokes that kind of come together mm-hmm. yeah like, it looks like a space scene like from far right? away but right upon closer examination it just it reminds me of like alice in wonderland yeah like it just yeah. looks like There's something out of alice in wonderland just so many colors and the yeah. way they overlap and in just the versatility in brush stroke yes. and like there's really a lot going on but it does all like work cohesively somehow yeah and that's such an amazing representation of Radiohead mm-hmm. because if you mm-hmm. know anything about like Radiohead and Tom York and just from a like music theory standpoint yeah. what they did for music was 
some of the most avant-garde shit. You yeah. know, they yeah. layered and created sounds. You know, they're studied in music theory courses and mm-hmm. for good reason because they just have done some of the weirdest shit and then made it somehow work. Right. And it's, I, this is so, <laughs> such a perfect, like, visual representation of that, you know? Yes, I agree. It's I so agree. good. Yeah, and just looking at the variety because when you think about music, they're obviously goes without saying so many different kinds of genres but just how she renders all these like from Bach to like Prince right (laughs) and how they all are so unique but they seem to fit like I did a little experiment with myself where I went through this article and I went through all of the paintings that she did and I listened to the songs while I was looking at them just to see if like does this resonate with me? Yeah, yeah. And almost all of them did. And she does one, um, Life on Mars by David Bowie. And I watched the music video for it after I had like listened to it, looking at the painting and even some of the colors that she uses in that match, like his color palette in the music oh, video, which I don't know so if that great. was intentional or not, but like from his eyeshadow to his hair color to like how very pale he was <laughs> and, and all that comes through in the painting in the painting which is really interesting i feel like i don't know she's just kind of i think we're all connecting to her because we're all obviously such visual people but we're all huge music lovers too so it's like that's your thing she is she is really fun like i really love her work we'll post links to her and i mean i don't know what her going rate is but like as soon as as soon as i have like a little time and like a little money and just be like hello yeah Lisa. hello will you make me i don't even know who i would choose what like, would i do, the first ooh, have to do prince. i know i mean prince well, would certainly be the first the like the immediate one that comes to mind but there's also like some other ones. yeah what are some like, songs everyone would do song? mm. oh, i think i would do okay i think i would do i feel for you by prince because that's just like a fun happy song and I feel like it would be beautiful. Yeah. Oh, you know, I just was listening to uh, Gustav Holt's uh, The Planets. Mm. It's a classical piece. Mm-hmm. I would want Mars. It'd probably be like really epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I'd want to see something really like, I feel like something connected to my childhood in some like really yeah. intense way. I feel like it'd be cool to see like, like some kind of like grunge like alternative <laughs> grunge song of some sort like i would like to see what she would come up with for yeah. that i want um allison chains allison chains would be yeah, great girl or stone temple pilots yeah that would be fun yeah. oh stone temple Something pilots grungy fleetwood mac would also be dope that, ooh, that'd be a so good one to choose oh from it's gosh. so hard oh me. also i'm just just out of curiosity i'd like to see like spice girls or something <laughs> You know, that could be like a really fun thing, you know. I think it would be fun and very it's colorful. Just frantic, like, pew, 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 like little yeah. splashes mm. of color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spice up your life. Spice it up. Yeah, they're yeah. dude. They're having a reunion. Have you no. seen this shit? For real? Oh, for real. It has been verified. What? The Spice That's Girls awesome. are having a reunion. What's what? what? what scary Spice been up to? She was my favorite. I don't know, but she they're all in. All five of them are nice. in. Doesn't she host America's Got Talent? What I don't know. I don't watch TV. No Isn't that Scary Spice? What was her name? Really? 
Was she, she was married to Eddie she was Murphy for Mel like Melanie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was Mel married B. to Eddie yeah, Murphy. Mel B. She hosts this. Uh, uh, my parents watch it. Really? Yeah. America's That's Got Talent. Oh, She's how? precious. She's as precious as ever. <laughs> yeah. How did I not know she was married to Eddie Murphy? She oh, Eddie is? Murphy used to live over I here. Don't... You guys, Eddie, Eddie Murphy lived in a okay. neighborhood <laughs> ten minutes from so, here. So no, no. This <laughs> I, I know this swear. is getting crazy. This is getting crazy. What? Mine. Um, <laughs> what is happening? I know, but let me just say one thing. Hit us. My new boo. Yeah. He is from here, oh. from the area, and he delivered pizza to Eddie Murphy's house one time when he was so like Eddie, a teenager. So Eddie Murphy lived in Sacramento? No, yeah. In Sacramento. In Granite, in Granite Bay. Bay. Yeah. What? Like, yeah. how yeah. and why? Yeah. <laughs> because there's this really, really nice gated neighborhood, and I... I don't know. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, it was a weird house because it was actually for sale for a while and it like wasn't selling. It was in the market, it like crashed really? and it was bizarre. There was like a lot of like black and white, like checkered and like really like it was interesting. Yeah. But like kind of tacky. Wow. Yeah. Some of the pictures I saw, I just remember thinking like that's tacky. Hey, he's not coming up on her spouses. Yeah. I don't think they're married. I don't think they are. I thought the thing. I mean, <laughs> do they date? Not, I didn't not, know that. I just know that he lived here, and I know that she's on America's Got Talent. Maybe they just dated for a bit, but I'm pretty sure Melby. I'm pretty sure Spice that, Girls were that they were intimate at one point in time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, how did All we right. get here? Yeah, I don't know. This oh, you're right. From oh, 2006 no. to 2007. Yes, Mr. Del Lago. That's it. I know my shit. Um, oh no, I know. <laughs> I know how we got there because we were talking about what song we would like. Spice Melissa Girls to paint. Yes. And we said Spice Girls for fun. Now, what would you like? Um, my gut is Bob Dylan. Oh, but yeah. I mean, um, I probably have a lot of brown tones just because Yeah, of the but guitar. that's the thing. She but was saying okay. but she said she wasn't crazy about the acoustic. So yeah. it'd have yeah. to be one of his more like yeah. varietal songs or yeah. the Avett brothers I think would be great because oh, they have their yeah. grunge yeah. background. Some of the, the stuff yelling. like uh, kick drum heart, kick yes. drum heart would make a really good. Uh, exactly. I think some of the ones where they get really kind of like screamy and there's a lot of instruments going yeah, on I could agree. be totally. fantastic. So totally. that would probably be my final answer. Yeah. Something of the Avett brothers. Nice. Always. Yeah. So many possibilities, I right? Know. That's I the know. beauty. Uh, if only, we could afford this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's probably a lot, dude. But I feel I like the, I mean, I feel like the knowledge of and appreciation for synesthesia is only going to grow. Mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. it's like the possibility that more people will realize they have it, maybe be interested in visual mm -hmm. arts and maybe create things like yeah. this. And the mm -hmm. art of synesthesia will grow. And be more if readily available. Listening, and you know you have this. Give uh, painting a chance, and if you want it, yeah. And if you want to yeah. practice and paint us some songs, we'd be stoked. I also yeah. think, just conceptually, I mean, like doing abstract paintings based on songs, like anyone can do that. Like you don't yeah. have to have synesthesia right. To, right. to try and represent how right. a song makes you right. feel visually. And maybe you, know? you can even train yourself. To well, have and if Ginny's done, I can jump over to another possibility. Oh, man, do. it's just going to oh, get man. crazier. I know, you guys. this episode is so fucking <laughs> That's wild. what I've been thinking this whole time. If I'm, I'm like, if we're jumping this far off from these oh, topics, we're about like, to jump Listeners, off. Buckle up for this shit. shit this is really, nice. this is really intense, like for real. All right, guys. So, <laughs> no pressure, Nat. <laughs> There's about to be some uh, debate. So, Neil Harbison. If you have not heard of him, he is a cyborg. He is officially considered a cyborg by the government of 
Britain, I want to say. Might be Spain because he was born in Britain, but raised in Catalan. He's completely colorblind. So cannot see color whatsoever. At age 21, they installed, they, they, uh, <laughs> scientists installed a device in the back of his the head. They. Yeah, just <laughs> they. <laughs> installed a device in the back of his head, which enables him to hear color. It's an electronic eye. He calls it an eyeborg. Wow. And <laughs> yep, it was designed by scientist Adam Montadon, which transposes the light frequencies of color hues into sound frequencies. Wow. So you can go back and listen to our color theory episode if you haven't already, because we delve a lot into how color is frequency, not mm-hmm. actually something material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can get more background on that. But yeah, so he's colorblind but he hears colors thanks to this little eyeborg attached to his brain eyeborg eyeborg i know he's a little eyeborg <laughs> he got a little eyeborg it's very cute it comes out like an antenna it attaches to the back of his skull and reaches around curves over the top of his skull into the front I and it has cute though i mean it's i've been looking terrifying. at it for a while so i think it's kind of grown on All me right. yeah <laughs> People are going to start making fashion statements with their eyeborgs, right? Like well, decorating their eyeborgs. And it truly moves like a little antenna. It has, um, what would that even be like? Like wires, I guess, in it that allow it to kind of like move around. Like seems oh my God. Yeah. It, it, he can like bend it and move it to face in different directions so he can like target oh. things, you know? Oh. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So weird. Exactly. And <laughs> so he considers trippy. this... Uh, electronic eye or eyeborg to be an extension of himself right. at this point interesting he did not feel that way from the beginning it's not like they attached it to him and he was right. like oh my god this is a part of my body yeah. this is who i am exactly now. <laughs> i feel like it's almost like people and i don't know how people exactly feel about prosthetics but i'm guessing at a certain point of having a prosthetic and getting used to it you do feel like it's an extension mm-hmm. of you mm-hmm. so he considered this to be part of himself when he started dreaming in color So he decided that when he was dreaming the sounds of different colors, that that was his mind creating them. And it was no longer fluent in another language and you dream. Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer the device creating these sounds. It's himself learning them. Yeah. Your brain learned it. Like that's how you know you made it with a language is if you dream in a different language. Exactly. Exactly. So I I felt like that was a very logical kind of association. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he does feel very, very strongly about this cyborg identity. A little background on him. He started art school before the eyeborg was inserted. So he had dreams and aspirations of becoming an artist before he could see color. And he said he got to school and went straight to the dean's office and they were basically he was like yeah I I can't see color and they were like what are you doing here Mm -hmm. like why are you here and he kind of he pushed on and they wouldn't let him you know paint in black and white or just purely work in black and white they made him use color before he could conceive of it but he got this implant at 21 and then it kind of just opened up everything he says he would have been a concert pianist or he thinks he would have been a concert pianist had he not had the implant but um, interesting. Yeah. But also makes sense because it's this like sound was his way mm-hmm. of understanding art. Yeah. And now he can understand something that he could never conceive through sound. So yeah. it's just like. Yeah. So I just Googled I board and uh, <laughs> because I'm so curious now. And um, and instead of uh, y- your boy, I'm getting this uh, other man mm, by the name of Rob Spence, a 37-year-old Canadian filmmaker, 
who sustained permanent damage to his right eye when he was nine. And in 2009, he had an eye camera, like a camera installed well, that's in what his this is. eyeball. This is a camera. It's just he already has two eyes, so it comes over the top instead of being. So it's not in his eye. It's not in his eye, but it works as an eye. Oh, it's an still, extra eye. It's an extra so eye, and that's wild. Yeah. So um, it's just, it's instead of it being a replacement for an eye, it's an additional eye. So he has a third eye. Yes. Literally. Wow. Not just in the like he's spiritual not, woke sense. Like he's, he's not, he literally he's has a third literally eye. literally woke. <laughs> um, that is so, so wild. He has been, he has been artificially woke. <laughs> and I want to just ask really quick, did, when, when you were researching Neil. Yes. How did he come about the eyeborg how did he get that procedure done who did it did he have to well pay? i already mentioned adam montadon was the scientist who did it and i forget exactly which institution he okay. is so maybe it to. was like experimental though like so he did he yeah it started out okay. as something a lot more um clunky i think as most things like this do where it involved wow. headphones and like an external pack mm-hmm. and then it evolved to what it is now which is actually attached to his brain and oh coming out God. the top that and is so yeah wild. just to like impress like so he obviously considers this to be like a part of his identity. He battled with the passport people to take his photo. The passport people. Passport people. <laughs> yeah, he like vehemently argued that he should be allowed to take his passport photo with his yeah. antenna. And that's why he is actually like considered a cyborg by the government because he had to like assert wow. and prove that he is a cyborg in order to be be one in his passport <laughs> he so, he believes wow. very strongly in this that's really interesting yeah and there was apparently so there were protests in spain i think in, in barcelona that he attended and because his eyeborg is like a camera police were like telling him like shut that down take it off and he was like i can't it's literally like a part of me mm-hmm. and they like I don't know exactly how it transpired, but they made him take it off or like (gasps) took it off of him forcefully. And so he like went home with like exposed wires and stuff. Ah. And he describes it as the worst day of his life. Like, which, you know, like all of this, like, you know, it's, there's a lot of things going on here and like feelings about like, like what's like legitimate and what's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's complicated, but that in itself, I felt like was horrifying. Like that sounds truly just traumatizing. Whatever uh, you believe about this, that seems like an assault on totally. his rights. Oh. But uh, just in general, very cool. He says he can listen to a Picasso, which is just a nice. cool thing to oh, be able to what? say. He says he used to wear what looked good, and now he wears what sounds good. Oh, I like <laughs> so that. So he can, wow. you know, he That's knows nice. like which n- notes are like mm. happy, and he mm. has like notes that he'll wear to a funeral because they're somber to him. Uh. So even though it may not be black it, to him, it. Oh. That's it all so cool. associates. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And in 2010, he co-founded the Cyborg Foundation with Moon Rebus, who is another cyborg artist, which is an international organization that aims to help humans become cyborgs, defend cyborg rights, and promote cyborg art. They have a website. We will post it with our sources. Wow. So is, is the one named Moon? She's the, the one yep. that can feel earthquakes on the moon. Mm-hmm. So she had, I get it a, now. she had devices <laughs> attached to her feet <laughs> and she can feel vibrations coming from the earth and she can feel earthquakes. And she says she can also feel moon quakes. Whoa. And I haven't Honestly, looked too far into her. That stuff, sounds but amazing. I can't even imagine. Right? I can't even fathom. I, I feel, yeah. I already feel like I am v- 
super sensitive to the moon. <laughs> like I can't imagine what having that like physical, I know, like actual <laughs> physical relationship, but right. like it's already bad enough with right. all the emotions. <laughs> like, I, I feel like, like 10 like, minutes in, they could talk you into getting these devices. I know. Corey. I feel like, I you, feel like yeah. yes, <laughs> I wonder do if, it. Um, <laughs> if she's been like accosted by those hollow moon conspiracy theorists. <laughs> You know, we could ask her. I know uh, that would be a great, a great like forum, like the person hollow moon theorist versus the person that can literally feel well, earthquakes. On no, the moon it's literally versus moon because yeah. her name is Moon Rebus. Yeah. Yeah. Hollow moon theorist versus moon. moon. <laughs> but that's so. I would love to talk to her. Like mm-hmm. that is such a I just dope. Want to know what that feels like. Yeah, it's such mm-hmm. a baller move. Like such a cool way to live your just life. What a trip that would be to be like in the fucking chip aisle <laughs> of the grocery store, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you feel a moonquake, and your feet are just like, <laughs> like, like how, how vibrating. Do you, how do you find that balance? I, was, I just don't know if I would want <laughs> it in my feet, you know, because I would just feel like I was gonna fall down all the time, yeah. and I already do Who feel knows like what that. It actually, true. feels I've like seen you fall in Maybe we'll do a full episode on Moon Rebus. <laughs> Maybe we can yeah. we can look into yeah, this. Yeah, because who knows what it actually like, Yeah. All we know is that she feels it. We don't know that she feels it like an earthquake. Yeah. You right. know, who knows how she actually feels yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Um, Wild. Like, because it could just be a sensation that runs through her body or something. Life is so crazy. I know. I <laughs> <laughs> love it so much. <laughs> uh, damn, synesthesia. What a crazy mm. episode. What a roller coaster. I know. Hey, I, I'm still going. I oh, feel, you got more for Oh, my us? God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tell yes. us about more cyborgs. Oh, I just haven't gotten to his art yet. <gasps> oh, yeah. There's art. So, We're um, an art podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a secondary effect of hearing color is color perception. So he describes it as radios are no longer in black and white. Radios are in color. So every sound has a color. So it works both ways. So he'll paint songs that he likes in the same way that Melissa Melissa mm-hmm. worked. But they look very, very different. Jenny and yeah. I were comparing earlier. <laughs> I threw them in the notes if you guys want to take a look. Um, they're very geometric. They're just, a, yeah, they're not expensive. No, not at all. Yeah, it's much more scientific, which makes sense. They almost yeah, they're cyborg. Exactly. They 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 look computer generated. Yeah, Yeah. they look really amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, and I put on that. There's a visualization of Beethoven's Fiorelis, and there's a visualization of Amy Winehouse's Rehab. Mm. And he also works in the opposite way. Most of his work works in the opposite way, which transports colors into sound. So he'll do facial portraits where Mm -hmm. you can hear someone's face. So he created these for Prince Charles, James Cameron, Tracy Eamon, Al Gore. He did one for (laughs) Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. Al Gore's was very pleasant. That was the one actually that I found the most like kind of calming. He's also done speeches. He did a he did a speech of he painted a speech from Hitler and one from um, from Martin Luther King Jr. And had people try and guess which was which. And he said most of the time people got it wrong. And I didn't That's see these two paintings. Really but interesting, isn't it? Ooh. I know that is so fascinating. I know, huh. but I also like just kind of wanted to ask you guys what you thought. Like, is this synesthesia? 
Is it synthetic synesthesia? Yeah, I think like, it's induced synesthesia. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have the genetic yeah, type for it. It's right. not. But I do think it's an artificial version. Yeah, yeah. and I, I wonder about how he does the paintings because did he have anything installed into his eye? Because according to just what is said about him, like his colorblindness is so intense that he really sees in grayscale, right? Yeah, everything he sees is in gray, grayscale, but I mean, he can read. So like you can know which tubes of paint are colors. It's right. like before that, he would have just had to memorize like yeah this color is used for this thing and now he can associate these words for colors to sounds that he hears so the the color the visual color is still completely absent like he doesn't know what that looks like yeah but he can still create it based on what he's hearing Mm. so he's basically uh, his artificial synesthesia is actually a connection between its phonemes its phonemes and sounds Mm. so he's connecting words with sounds Mm -hmm. and the product is visual because he that's what he's doing in his brain is connecting the what a color is the word of the color with a sound yes and so his so his artificial synesthesia actually has nothing to do with color it has to do with phonemes Mm. but he's creating something that's Mm -hmm. colored Mm -hmm. so i still think it's artificial synesthesia but it's actually not color to music it's word to music Mm-hmm, that we get to experience yeah, color. we get to yeah. see it, yeah. but for him, the color like that the we get to see the color oh. is completely oh. left out. <laughs> oh. And he doesn't always work in color. Like those paintings, I think, are some of the more like that stuff he does. Mm. Just to branch out a little, mm-hmm. a lot more of what he does is in sound because that's yeah. what oh. he just yeah. can experience. Blowing my damn mind. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think that's that's even better because it is. It's almost like a different form of synesthesia for the creator and the viewer. Mm-hmm. Like it's representing totally. two different things, which I I am super about. I like it a lot. Very interesting. God. Yeah, that's Neil Harbison. Um, and I even man. the more I look at his paintings and thinking about it that way, that makes a lot of sense because it does feel like you're traveling through a song. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's the change mm-hmm. in you know the music as though you're like going down this tunnel and mm-hmm. you're traveling through a song. Reminds me of that movie, um, The Animatrix. Oh. If y'all have never seen it. I've seen The Matrix. Watch but. The Animatrix. It's also like really disturbing and scary. So just know <laughs> that it's very scary. Um, anyway. Uh, wow. What? Wow. <laughs> wow. Just, just wow. Science <laughs> is just amazing. And life um, is just amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just blown away. I know. Right. This stuff is so cool. And I, I want to know everything about this guy. If I, you're more interested in him too, I'll post. There's a, like a five minute short called Hearing Colors. That's on Vimeo that you can watch. Um, he does a TED talk. He's I, on yes. a TED radio hour ask. episode mm-hmm. where they, you know, do clips of the TED mm-hmm. talk, but he also interviews with Guy Raz. There's a lot of stuff out there. He's very, very vocal. He's written some essays, um, just discussing all of these things that he's so passionate about, like cyborg rights and hearing color and why people should be cyborgs. He really wants what a fucking fascinating person to bring in more cyborgs. Yeah. So there's a lot of resources out there if you're interested in him. He's he's there. He's out there and he's wearing crazy colors and he's he's being he's being himself. Wow. He looks very (laughs) stylish. He does. Yeah. That's styling. I like that color combination. He looks like a hip Ken doll. Oh, and the the pants. Primary colors all around. Wow. Wowie. Synesthesia. This is just such an interesting topic and I'm I'm really fascinated to just even see the development because I feel like yeah. we're just at the forefront of what this even means and yeah. what we can do with it, yeah. you know, and especially now that you bring in like all of the science and the technological, mm-hmm. the idea of like induced synesthesia. I am really excited to see the future of 
art related to synesthesia because I, I I feel like it's just this whole new realm of perception and mm-hmm. and the way we connect art and the arts because I think just like the, the connection between the visual and music is huge mm-hmm. like it's such a big thing mm-hmm. um and yeah it's super fucking cool so, so about exciting it. agree yeah if you are either interested in this topic or if you have synesthesia, if we have any listeners with mm-hmm. it, please write us in and tell us about your experiences. We'd love to hear them. Yeah. Or if you know about more artists that work with it, that would be great too. Any yeah. Anything you might want to add to the conversation, this obviously can go on into many different directions. Share with so us. Share. Share with us. Please. Um, speaking of sharing, quick listener mail. This comes to us from our girl, Nora. The subject is, oh, hell yes. Nice. (laughs) First of all, thank you. Thank you for giving me something fascinating, educational, hilarious, and intelligent to listen to. I have a BA in art history and freaking love listening to a coven of women who love art history and wine as much as I do. Yeah. Love it. I haven't listened to an episode yet where I haven't been stirred with emotion about how much I love art, how important it is, and how I'm so happy I studied it, even though I work in a different field now. In my undergrad, I took a course on advertising, a wild and crazy ride filled with Mm -hmm. art historical references, contemporary visual culture, duh, sexism, manipulation, drama, etc., etc. I'm sure you all have studied it. Have you thought of doing an episode about that subject? I think it could be oh so cool, and you all would shine some great light on it. Anyway, keep it up, love every minute, and hope run into you in a at a bay area museum someday chances are they're they're good they're high i actually would like to perhaps in the next year try and do like a bay area meetup for our listeners because i think i mean that's obviously the easiest one for us to do i think that could be fun Um, so if that's something you're interested in uh definitely contact us in some way because the more interest we have the more likely we are to do it yeah Um, that's how it works yeah pretty much so that could be a fun thing bay bay area art history babe day um but advertising yes yeah yeah i could get behind one of those episodes for sure and i feel like there's Gosh, I don't know. I feel like it'd be hard to keep it to one episode. Oh yeah, there's so many. It would angles. turn into like there's a so part, many angles. Part three, part yeah. six, yeah. not uh, especially like dependent on period and all that. Because when I wrote that blog post of opening title sequences, and I was reading all about the artists that made the opening sequence for Mad Men and how they were looking at all these advertisements from the '60s, and that's when like advertising was really in its like burgeoning golden era Mm -hmm. and just the kind of things that were being conveyed in advertisements and the way that they were being portrayed is really interesting i also think i was looking on our list of episode ideas and i think i put this on there where it was poster advertisements against venereal disease Mm -hmm. during like in the 40s yeah (laughs) yeah you did put those on there yeah yeah those are cool yeah and that definitely i mean that's you're now we're diving into the world of like propaganda which is uh, something else we want to talk about yeah and a lot of times too like advertisement and propaganda they they cross over they do ways and um yeah no i i definitely want to do that episode topic there's we've talked about we talked about in weird pooty we talked about the soap advertisements that are very fascinating i ta'd for a gender in contemporary like visual media class yeah where we looked at a lot it was more of like a feminist like looking at 
depictions of, of mostly women in advertisement throughout. Mm. Like we, mm-hmm. we really focus more on like the nineties and stuff. Um, and, but like seeing how, how women have been portrayed in advertisements and in music videos yeah. and stuff. So that's like a whole nother angle. Like we could do a whole episode on that easily. There's so many angles to the advertisement thing. And I agree. It's stupid important because like yeah. that is like the visual material people are being bombarded yep. with all yep. the time. Yep. So Look forward to, I think, multiple future yeah. episodes yeah. on that because we have angles from many different 1800s, 1900s, you know, like we have insane. there's so many advertisement is such a, a clear example of what is happening to a culture at yes. the time, you yes. know, um, Absolutely. when you really look into basically what people are trying to sell, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you learn a lot about a culture. Totally. Um, so yeah, great suggestion. We'll add it to the never ending list of episodes, but we are keeping track of them now. We are. And we are making our way through them. So, <laughs> so if you give us suggestions, it goes on the list, but thank you so much, Nora. We appreciate your message and your ideas. Thank you to everyone listening. Be sure to check out our newly revamped website. It's beautiful. Arthistorybabes.com. We have. It looks great. We have so much new stuff. We have uh, so many new blog posts. We've got great new merch. Some of it limited time only. So get on it. Check it out. Yeah. Just like cool things to look into. Also, our YouTube channel is we're right on the edge of like getting that popping. It does exist. So you can subscribe to us right now. Um, There isn't a lot on it, but you can subscribe to it. Uh, We're actually doing a lot of filming right now at this very day and time so get on our youtube because that'll be fun too all kinds of fun things so many fun things thanks you guys thanks bye 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 from Art history, babes. Go to a pumpkin fest. All right. <laughs> Listeners, if you know of pumpkin fests that are, um, you know, renowned, let us know. Yeah. We want to know. <laughs> we'll shed an art historical eye on right. pumpkin carving. Right. The Art History Babes podcast is made possible by support from our lovely listeners via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes to help keep the Art History Babes going and for access to bonus content.